Hi, good, <coughs> hi, good morning. Right down. Yes. So, um, I used to attend City Harvest Church in 2001, 2002. That is uh, about a year before I joined uh, PPH. And so I have quite a personal connection to kind of the events of the last couple of months. And it's, it, it, it's been discouraging. It's, uh, it, it, it's caused me a fair amount of turmoil. But it's, it's complex. You know, there are lots of different aspects to this. There's a, there's a theological aspect. You know, how do, what do they believe about Christ and, and the church and its work? There's a strategic aspect. How do you go about doing evangelism in a, in, in a meaningful and intelligent way? There's the actual, you know, use of funds and accounting and the legal aspect and, and all of these things. But I'm going to bracket all of that out. I don't really want to get into talking about that right now because one of the things that kind of bothers me more personally is how do I deal with my friends who happen to be members of CHC? How do I think about their faith? Um, are they my brothers in Christ or are they you know, irredeemable in some way? Well, how do I think about that? Because the, the struggle for me is this, that if you sit down with them and you talk to them about the faith... Um, you find that many of the things that they believe are precisely the same things that I do. They believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the scriptures, um, in the work of, of Jesus on the cross, and what's going to happen at the end of all days. In a lot of these things, they're perfectly orthodox. They're perfectly with us. And yet, at the same time, you know, there's this other bunch of sometimes really weird beliefs that I, I see some of them holding. And so, so how do I deal with this? How do I, how do I think about their faith? And, I mean, I think one of the most, um, I think, stark examples of this was, um, you know, this is a photograph taken, I think, at like 10 p.m. on the night before the, on the night before the actual verdict was given. And there's already this queue forming, I think a total of about 100 people who are all waiting and steadfastly supporting uh, their pastor and their church through this. And it, it just seems to me that some of them are just immune to reality. I mean, at the... Given all of the information and the discussion they need and all of the things out there, wh why would you continue to do this? And so how do, I, how do I think about the faith of the CHC members? Now, um, I'm going to try and get at this and try and address this again a little while later, but I'm going to do that through a sandwich, through a Markin sandwich. And so why am I calling this a sandwich? Um, as Pastor said just now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look through a few texts from the book of Mark, all of which are sometimes known as, you know, Mark's sandwiches. And the reason why they're called sandwiches is this, because for each of them, they have the same pattern, and it looks something like this. So there's a story that Mark begins talking about, and then he pauses that story for a while and moves to a different story, and then he begins talking about that for a short while, and then he ends this story, and then he goes back again to this big story that he began with the first time. Now, why does he keep doing this? Um, it's not necessary for him to do this because you find that the same stories that Mark does in Sandwich Method in his book, the other gospel writers, you know, Mark and Luke, uh, Matthew and Luke, they can sometimes tell the same story, but they don't do the sandwich thing. They separate out the sandwich and they tell you, nah, this is story one, this is story two. But for some reason, Mark doesn't want to do that. He keeps putting that back together again. And he says, no, 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 no. You can't take them apart. You must eat the sandwich as a whole. Uh, because there's something that you can see, there's something that you'll learn when looking at those stories together that you can't learn when you're looking at those stories apart. Now, let's take a look at one of those things. But first, I want to quickly stop you from reading your Bibles. Uh, I would like all of you to not read your Bible right now. What I'd like you to do is just listen. Because I'm going to read out this particular text from uh, Mark 5. And what I'd like you to do is listen, just hear the story. And what I'd like you to do is try and spot the sandwich. So what is the first story that Mark's telling? What's the second story that he tells? And what's the first story that he goes back to? Okay, quick, check your friends, make sure nobody's cheating. All right, good. Here we go. So um, I'm reading from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 onwards, and this is from the ESV. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, um, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, 
My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a young woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned uh, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the rulers house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, Chumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something. Bought the sandwich, right? So I trust most of you would have been able to see that, that flow, what happened in the text over there. And so verse 21 and 24, you can look at your Bibles now, by the way. Um, so Jesus, biggest, or Mark begins telling the story of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus. And then while they're on the way, he stops that story, and he interrupts that with the story of the bleeding woman. And once he finishes that story, he goes back to the story of Jairus. Now, why? Does he do this? I mean, what's the point of this whole interaction? And there's a way that we can try and get, try and understand what Mark is doing, what Mark is trying to tell us by putting those two stories together and not apart. But the way that we need to understand what Mark is trying to tell us is by through looking at what are the similarities, what are the differences, and what's the connection between those two stories. So we're going to do that right now. And so a couple of similarities, or really one big similarity. And the similarity is this, that both of these guys are in a desperate situation and really need Jesus to do something. So you've got Jairus who begins the story, my little daughter is at the point of death. And very, very soon later, you know, he's told, you know, your daughter is dead. No one can do anything for him except for Jesus. And on the other hand, you've got the bleeding woman and who's had discharge of menstrual blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under Many physicians, lots of money, nothing has worked. Everything's been useless. She has no other hope except for Jesus. And so both of these guys are desperate. They need a touch from Jesus. They need his healing. And that's what binds them together. And now the things that set them apart. And now there's at least four different things that separate these two. So let me just read you know, an excerpt from verse 22 and 23. So one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and told him about my little daughter. And the bleeding woman, verse 25 to 28, he's a woman who had spent all that she had. She comes up behind Jesus in the crowd and she touches his garments, thinking if I touch his garments, you know, I'll, I'll be made well. And so 
What, what are the differences between these guys? And let me point out at least four of them. And the first is this, what I've underlined on the text. You know, he's one of the rulers of the synagogue. So this is not just some ordinary guy. You know, this, this, this is an important person. He's someone with a certain amount of, of prestige. Whereas on the other hand, the bleeding woman, she's, she's a nobody. She's not a VIP. She's not anything, anybody that anybody knows anything about. Second difference, which is quite related to this, he's not just a ruler, he's not just a big person, he's a big person in the synagogue. So think of that as the equivalent of someone like a church elder. So this is not just someone who has some prestige within the community, he's got prestige in the community as someone who is a leader in the church, leader in the people of God. So he has got a presence within the people of God, whereas the bleeding woman, no she can't. Because partly as a result of the Jewish ceremonial law, she is considered unclean. And so she can't come into the temple, she can't come into the synagogue, she can't come into the meeting of God's people. And every other person who is within those communities is going to stay away from her as well. So here's the second difference. Jairus is someone who's within the community of faith, and the bleeding woman is one who's excluded from it because she's she's not just unimportant, she's unimportant within the people of God, within the church. Third difference. Jairus is named, and so Marcus just, Mark just writes, you know, this is Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and he expects his readers, the people who look at the gospel, to know who, he's, who this person is. Whereas the bleeding woman, what's her name? Is she Rachel or Martha or Mary or Joanne? Or we, we just don't know. And for 2,000 years, nobody knows. You know, she's just some anonymous bleeding woman, which is what I'm calling her uh, throughout the sermon. Um, And fourth difference, take a look at. Jairus has the confidence to be able to come up to Jesus and fall at his feet and say, I need this. Would you do this for me? Whereas the bleeding woman, she creeps up, sneaks up behind and tries to get hold of the edge of his cloak without even the confidence or the ability to come to him up front. And lastly, note one more thing about the bleeding woman. Now, if this lady or someone who had this particular problem and this particular view of Jesus came to your cell group, what would you say to her? I mean, if she told you what she's thinking, if I touch even his garments, I'll be well. Doesn't it? I don't know about you, but it seems to me at least just a little bit theologically off. I mean, she seems to think, you know, it's not about Jesus or the guy who can, I can kind of get my healing out of him without even asking him or Without his knowledge, I just need to come over here and touch his super special magic coat. And once I do that, that will heal me. That's, that borders on superstition. And faithful as it may be, it's at least a little bit awkward over there. And so that's this lady. Now, those are the similarities and those are the differences. And what's the connection between them? And the connection is this. The connection comes in the words of Jesus to both of these people. Because what Jesus says to the bleeding woman in verse 34 is, daughter, your faith has made you well. It's not my coke. It's not your sneaking around. It's your faith in who I am and what I can do that's made you well. And after that, when he speaks to Jairus, who's just heard about the news of his daughter's death, what he tells him is, do not fear, only believe. And it doesn't show up so easily within our English translation, but the root word that's used for both of these things, when he tells the bleeding woman, it's your faith that's healed you, that's the same word that he's turning around telling Jairus now. Do not fear, only have faith. And that's what binds the two of these things together. What's the point of this interruption? Why does Mark tell the story of Jairus and his need for healing? And then he interrupts that halfway and then says, this is the woman... She's healed, and Jesus says to her, it's your faith that has healed you. And then comes back to Jairus' story, and in Jairus' story, he needs that kind of faith. The point of this is that Jairus, the VIP, the leader in the church, the church elder, the person who has prestige within the community, he's asked to look at the kind of faith that this lady has, this bleeding, sick, unclean, slightly superstitious, cowardly lady who's walked up from before. Look at her. That's the kind of faith that is commanded to Jairus. 
Now, what does this mean for us? What, what, what does this sandwich mean for us? And uh, I'm not finished with the sermon yet. You're not that lucky. Uh, I'm going to talk probably another for another hour or so. No, okay, not that long. But before that, I want to pause first, and I want us to pray over this um, and ask, what is God speaking to you about this particular text, about this particular idea that Mark is trying to put across? And then after that, I'll share um, some of my reflection. So would you pause and would you just, just pray with me for just a minute? living God, um, we ask that you speak uh, to us. We, we, we consider and we hear the, the words that you've given us through Mark, um, the, the words of Jesus to, to the bleeding woman and then to Jairus, and, and your commendation to the readers of, of Mark, um, that the VIP, the, the big guy, He's asked to emulate the faith of this nobody. God, we ask that you'd speak to us um, now and here. Uh, sh- show us what this means for us in, in our lives, in, in our faith, um, in our common community of faith. Would you show us what you desire us to change, us to do? In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm going to do now is this. Um, I've asked you to reflect on what would be the implications of that, how God would speak to you on that. And I'm going to tell you about my thoughts on this, on, on what implications I, I see uh, residing within this text. Now, I want to make a very clear distinction here because so far I've been talking about what Mark's been writing and what meaning Mark is trying to get across to the sandwich. And I have a lot of confidence that I can say that's what the Word of God is for us. But now what I'm going to do is talk about what its implications of that are for us. And this comes not from Mark, not from the Word of God, but, but from me. And so um, occasionally I'm wrong. Um, and if you think I'm wrong, um, talk to me about it. And if you persuade me, you know, I'll take you out for coffee. right? But I, I may be wrong, um, but these are my thoughts on the implications of, of this text for us. Two implications. So I'm going to talk about two implications, but for each of these, I'm going to give a couple of examples. So the first implication is this, the implication that arises from our considering Jairus' experience. Because here's Jairus, the, the head of the synagogue, you know, the big guy, and he's told, look, learn the faith of this bleeding woman. That's the kind of faith that you are to emulate. And you see that in the woman who's spent all she had, comes up behind Jesus, touches him. If I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. There's so many reasons why she's kind of inferior and lesser to him. And there's Jairus, who's the head of the synagogue, and yet he's asked to look to her. Now, what, what, what does this mean for us, and why do I think it, it matters so much? And that's because... Um, the world that we live in, the, the communities that you spend your life in, they're ranked by a hierarchy. You know, we've got a certain system of, of who are the big people, who are the little people, who are the important people, who are the not-so-important people. And that same hierarchy, that same ladder, finds itself in church a lot of the time. There's something deeply wrong with us if that's happening. If you find that the same people who are the... The, the leaders, the teachers, the, the people who are at the forefront of the church are the same people who are outside, big people. So something's wrong with this. We're not really different from the church. We're not really different from the world. And, and something has to change. And, and this is a photograph that I took just a couple of days ago, um, which, which just reminded me of that issue. And that is this. Uh, I took this in uh, East Timor. I just come back, came back from East Timor. I was there for about two weeks. Uh, that's part of the reason why I'm kind of darker and skinnier than I usually am. Um, and so this is uh, 
There's a photograph taken during uh, a memorial service on the 12th of November because the 12th of November is a, it's a very important day in East Timor's history. Let me give you a little bit of background. So East Timor, little country, is occupied by Indonesia for about 25 years. And during that time, m most of the world did not care. And there was a lot of terrible things happening to the Timorese people. Now, on the 12th of November, 1991, uh, there's a bunch of Timorese young people, probably about the same median age as you, uh, teenagers uh, in their early 20s, who were marching from this particular this church to um, to a cemetery called the Santa Cruz Cemetery in order to to protest peacefully uh, the occupation by the Indonesians. And the Indonesian army surrounded them and opened fire, and about 250 young people um, died. Now, this is a turning point in Timor's history because when that happened, there happened to be some foreign journalists who had videoed this. Now, most of the time when a massacre like this happens, nobody finds out, and so nobody cares. But in this particular case, the foreign journalists were there. They took the videos. They smuggled the videos out, and that became the turning point for Timor's history because then people began to know and notice and advocate for something to be done about it. And every year, every year, every year, people gather at the same church and they remember the loss of their children, the loss of their families, the loss of their friends um, in this terrible time of their history. Now, when I was here for this particular service, um, the, the, the Timorese man who was leading the service, he got up and he spoke about the loss of, of their children. And what he said was, here are these young people. And because they died and they didn't even know what was going to happen before or after that, um, that was what led to our freedom. And that's a mirror of the greater way in which Jesus, knowing what is going to come before him, he willingly died, and that's brought us our greater eternal freedom. But what a way to think about the death of your children, uh, the, the, the death of your people close to you. That, that is powerful. That's faith. And I see this kind of faith among the church in Timor. And yet, what often happens, I see, because I go to Timor a fair amount. I've got lots of teams from Singapore, mission teams and all. Uh, I'm not talking about PPH, but from other places, who go into Timor. You know, they're going there for a week. They're really excited. They gather together, these Timorese Christians, you know, and, and through a translator, they kind of try and teach them Sunday school. You know, they're telling them about how, you know, Moses was, you know, in the ark. You know, so uh, uh, somebody is in the ark, and then Jesus, and then God is good, and then God will rescue you. Or um, you know, uh, you can trust God even though bad things happen because God is good and He loves you. No, and when I hear this, I'm cringing inside because I'm thinking, you guys have got no idea what they have been through. If you stopped and listened and found out about the story of their faith what they've struggled through, what they've learned, how they hold on to their faith in Christ. You have so much to learn from them. But why does that not happen? Why, does that, why, why do our mission teams go in there presuming to be able to teach their Christians and not be able to learn anything? And sadly, the large part of the reason is because they don't speak English. We view them as stupid, ignorant, immature and because we have got nice shoes and nice clothes and we come from an air-conditioned church, we can go in there and we have got something to offer them. It's because we assume that they're lesser than us and they're the ones who should be learning from us. And something's wrong with that. And, and that's, that's one thing that, that bothers me. That's one example of what I think is the implication of this. One more. Uh, do you recognize anybody here? Yes, Joel. So... Um, a couple of uh, months ago, I, you know, got together a bunch of people, uh, you know, Joel included, and uh, um, Benjamin, Matthew, uh, Winston, um, and what they'd done is they'd taught guitar to uh, the guys in the Telugu service, and uh, because we were there for a couple of uh, Sundays, I attended their service as well, and sometimes the things that I learned and saw from them um, was, was amazing. Um, one of the things that happened is many of these guys are in there like 19 to 26 years old, you know, not, not much older than you guys. They've come a long way. Many of them are new believers. And during one of those services, what happened is um, the pastor got up, uh, Pastor Danny, and he shares that, you know, one of their brothers, he's died in a construction accident. Um, 
And so they got up and they prayed. And then they got back, you know, did what they needed to and went back to their jobs the next day. Um, it's the kind of faith that allows them to face the deaths routinely of their peers, their friends, the kind of thing that you and I don't need to deal with and that creates a, a depth, a profundity of faith that uh, I haven't seen within my cell group or within our adult congregation. We have much to learn from them. And yet, you know, I get invited to go and speak to those guys a lot. Um, I, once in a while, I get uh, invited to speak to the, to the foreign domestic workers. They're, they're the maids congregation as well. And why is it that my cell group has never had one of these guys to come in and teach us or to speak to us about what their journey of faith has been? Do they not have anything to share with us? Why does that not happen? Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about teaching Scripture or Bible or theology. Now, I want to learn Bible and theology from someone who knows Bible and theology. I'm not expecting to come over to the guy who's been in church for two days and ask him to teach me that. That's, that's different. But when we're talking about the journey of faith, when we're talking about the lived experience of what it is to be of Christ, to follow Him, to suffer for Him, to have His goodness exhibited in our lives, these things, there is no expert in this. And I don't need to go up to a pastor or a teacher or a preacher in order to learn these things. Because these things are the same among every brother in the body of Christ. And these things we should be learning from those who are lesser than us. And I'm going to be on really thin ice now because I'm going to talk about the, my, my friends in City Harvest Church. Now, uh, okay, I'm sorry if I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not going to give you any extended commentary on what I think of the, of the case and all of that. If you, you can talk to me about that later on. But if I just limit myself to the, to the faith of these guys, to the, to the commitment of these guys, to the steadfastness to, of these guys, the refusal to listen to anything outside of these guys and remain committed to, to their cause. Uh, there's, there's something right in that. There's something valuable in that. There's, there's something worth learning from in that. I mean, these guys, they're queued up there from 10 p.m. the night before, and we can't get people to come in here over 11.15 service on time. You know, some, something's wrong with us, and we got something to learn from them. And so let's learn from the faith of others, even those who seem a bit off, even those who seem to be at the margins of the Christian community. And so that's the first group of implications about um, what it means to be Jairus. And a second group of implications when we look at what the bleeding woman would have learned about this. And the first major thing is just let the example of your faith um, instruct other believers. And, and what do I mean by this? Uh, I mean, again, so here, here's her and her imperfect faith, her frightened, timid faith, her timid that comes from someone who's not a big person, this is what is commended to Jairus, who's the big guy. And if this is so, um, what does this mean for our faith and your faith? Now, th this is something that our, our church has, has kind of struggled with for a while, and that is of, of cell groups. So we've got cell groups, and not everyone is in cell groups, and there are lots of reasons for that, but at least part of that reason is because people feel, some people feel that, you know, they, they receive the teaching that they need or the learning that they need in a Sunday service. They go to BSF or something else or the personal, personal Bible time, and they learn and they gain so much. And then you go and hang around with these bunch of losers in a CG, and, you know, I'm not actually getting anything out of it. If that's you, those bunch of losers need you. Um, the example of your faith matters to the rest of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you haven't been a Christian for a long time, if you don't have a great command of the Bible, or, you know, you can't, you know, look up Greek words and do the PC thing that, you know, Raj did, you know, on, on, on the sermon. What matters is that if Christ lives in your heart and he's given you faith, that's valuable. And like the bleeding woman whose imperfect faith was commended to the leader of the church, your faith matters for the growth of the church. The example of your faith, the example of your life, the example of what Christ has done in your life is precious to the church. And don't steal that. Don't make the church forego that by staying away from it. 
John is our good. Second is about passing on of your faith. Um, and again, similar reasons. I'm not just talking about membership within um, a, a, a body of believers, but I'm talking about taking care of other believers one-on-one or sharing the experience of your life with others, your experience of faith with others. Now, there's all of you guys, and then there's all of the younger people in youth service. And then within this service, there's some of you who are older and some of whom are, who are younger. Uh, and you have a wealth of experience about what it means to follow Christ, the kind of struggles that, that you face, and how to get over them, and how to stay strong in the faith. Now, this guy can't do all of that for all of you. Right? And neither can this guy. Um, and so we need you to take care of one another. And so that means those of you who have gone through NS and have gone through that you know, terrible you know, valley of darkness, you, know, you come out on the other end, Help the others who are going through. Those of you who have been through, you know, the first couple of months or, months or years of working and, you know, your entire life is consumed by your office and yet some way you've preserved your faith, you see the next guy about to go through that valley, help him. Those of you who, you know, have, are stable, you know, um, help the younger cell groups, help the others come up because without the example of your faith, they can't grow. It doesn't matter if you're not Jairus. If you're a bleeding woman, uh, keep bleeding. Bring the example of your faith to the others. Last example, and this is for the, those of you who are carrying out, who don't have the opportunity to act as leaders or mentors or teachers or anything within the church for whatever reason. I mean, you just don't, you just don't have the ability to. There's the, uh, you, there, you've got other commitments that draw upon you and you're just unable to. And you find that you're still, you know, preserving your faith and walking through with a candle through a really, really dark, dark period of your life for a long time. And you're afraid that, you know, that candle's going to go out. And you're afraid that this is, this, this is a hidden faith. This is a, me walking in the dark for a long time silently and nobody knows, nobody cares. Does this even matter what I'm going through? Whether it's being faithful in NS, um, whether it's being in a very ungodly environment, and you're the only believer who's faithfully carrying that candle, and nobody knows, nobody can help you. Nobody sees that. Um, if that's you, you need to know that. At the end of days, when we're gathered in the new heavens and new earth with the entire assembly of the faithful, at the end of days, remember that bleeding woman, the one whose name we don't know? You're going to know her name. I'm going to know her name. She's going to be exalted, and her example of faith is going to be shown to pastors and teachers and megachurch pastors and, th- and theologians and Bible writers and all of these people. They're going to be shown her faith and say that, look, this is the example of faith that I commend to the rest of you. That's the honor that's going to be due to her. And you know what? After her, it's going to be you. Those of you who are carrying that silent, quiet faith. You're carrying that faith quietly. It's not forgotten. It's not lost. It's not unseen. It will be seen. It will be remembered. It will be celebrated. So don't let that go out. Last slide. Um, This is a sandwich that Mark gives us. And it's a heavy one. Uh, The big guy, the VIP, the religiously privileged is asked to learn from the faith of the little guy, of the bleeding woman, the sick woman. And that means, in part, you're like J. Research, to learn from the faith of other lesser believers. And if you're like the bleeding woman, it's to let your faith instruct that of other even greater people. And the reason why this can happen within the church and not anywhere else is because The reason why you and I are here and are gathered and are a church or are a community of faith, it's not because each of us got in here with our merit or our ability or our something. Because every one of those crowns we left outside, each one of us came here, are here, because of the work of Christ. And before that, each of us is an equal. Each of us is a brethren. 
each of us is something to give. Um, I need that from you. I need to learn from your examples of faith, your stories of faith. And we need that from one another. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Cheeling to close in prayer. I have the musicians to come. Let's take some time where you are just to ponder upon what has been shared by Raj here. Raj. And individually just come before the Lord. Say, Lord, what are you speaking to me today? any actions or attitudes that God is addressing to you. Today the altar call will be slightly different. Um, if today you come, there is a need in your heart. Perhaps you are like Jairus or even the bleeding woman. There is a specific area of need. You come, you want Jesus to help you. And today if you come with that need, it could be your physical situations, things related to your work or your studies or your family. If there is a need you want people to pray with, I invite you to come forward. It's a time where you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will pray with you. and Together we look to Jesus who is the one that can heal, is the one that can overcome, the one that can help us. So the first part, as I mentioned, is for you to take home whatever God has spoken to you about the implications of today's sermon. The second part here is a, it's an altar call invitation. For those of you who have a specific need that you want people to pray for, or to look to Jesus, the altar is open for you. Today, to come, whether you are Jairus or a bleeding woman, no problem is too big too small for the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring it and I invite you to come and we will pray with you as we sing, as we sing this song together. Shall we rise?
let's just remain in the presence of God, remain in the presence of Jesus. And just remember that this same Jesus that, that healed the bleeding woman, the same Jesus that was so real to Jairus, is the Jesus who died on the cross for us. He's the Jesus who went to the cross. And just his love that extends to, to Jairus, to the woman, the extent of his love was shown when he died on the cross. So let's just remain in a posture of worship as we acknowledge how much we need our Savior and how much we need our Lord. Next time. 
reminded today the same Jesus that healed the bleeding woman the same Jesus that healed Jairus' daughter is the same Jesus that is here today today we are calling him so I encourage you Jesus is here if there is a need in your lives or you know of people who have a need I'd like us to exercise our faith right now just bring it before the Lord just open your mouth and just pray pray for those areas pray for breakthrough pray for Jesus to break through pray for Jesus to come into your situations or your friends or the people in need shall we just come before the Lord and just intercede Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you are God who cares. You're God who cares. That's why, Lord, you listen to Jairus. You go with him. That's why, Lord, you stop that woman. And that's why, God, even today you stop and you listen to our prayer, Lord. You hear our prayers. You hear our needs. You hear what we need as we call upon you. Father, I pray that God today for that breakthrough the breakthrough into our situation, into our lives, into our areas of needs. Father, work in our midst so that God, people will know about you, that people will know you are powerful, you are caring, so that people will glorify you. And I want to just pray also today, Father, I pray for the community here, in this church here, Father. Let this be a community of encouraging one another with our faith, so-called bigger faith or lesser faith or small faith or big faith. I pray that there will be a sharing of this encouragement of one another in a formal context in an informal uh, situation context that God we were always talking about you so that God our testimony as we testify about you you will encourage each other and together Father, we grow in faith we grow to trust in you and we thank you Father we thank you we praise you thank you for meeting with us today thank you Lord in Jesus most precious name Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you.